0: Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or one of our other series like 401 Access Denied or Go For It with Sarah Moffat, then make sure to like, follow, or subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at and you could be featured in a future episode. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Dicotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. We're really excited to be here again, and we've got another fantastic guest and fun topic for you to enjoy today. And hopefully get, you know, one is we always want to entertain you, but also to educate you. And that's really the goal of the podcast itself. So um, my name is Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Dichotic. And I am really excited uh, to, again, be with my co-host here, Mike. You want to take it off and give us a little bit of uh, update and uh, what we're going to be talking about?
0: Yeah, uh, Mike Gruen, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cyberary. Um, and, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Cyber Offensive with Andre. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you?
2: and Mike. a uh, pleasure to have me here on the call. And enjoyed the relationship goes for years. So, uh, Absolutely. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I run a digital forensic unit at LifeFirst. I'm um, also one of the founders of uh, the company, and we focus primarily on digital forensic and incident response, forensic investigations. We have a unit that perform offensive type of services like a red team and uh, more human skill uh, penetration test. We have advisory unit. Uh, we uh, also conduct um, managed services more in. Almost like a cyber 91 ambulance, mm-hmm. Apple service, like a level three and up. And we also have R and D, so we develop our own tools. For example, look us on a GitHub. We have tools for welfare that actually detects nation state in the memory of the uh, computer, uh, computer uh, evidence.
1: Fantastic. I'm just gonna. You're you're based in in New York, but uh, where where would you kind of your operations and activities? You know. Who would you, you know provide services to? Is it uh, in the US specifically or is it globally? Or kind of what where would you it's work? Globally,
2: on? but most of our clients, because we are in New York, are in North America. Uh, mm-hmm. we have few clients in Europe. Um, some of our clients are of course international. We of the access in Europe and India, because we have to support 24-7 but like the Cyber Manual Online is
1: 24-7. Fantastic. So and really, you know, when I you know, think about you know one is there's instant response is one one thing. It's re- you know, but responding quickly and uh, gathering evidence and uh, really making sure to understand about you know how the attackers got in. Um, what was you know you know what, what would you recommend? What's you know, when somebody you know hits that button you know and they have an incident? What would you recommend? Where, where would you start? Uh, what's the first things? What's the most important things for a victim uh, in order to to prepare? And start thinking about, you know, what do they need to deal with when they're in the, in the middle of an incident?
2: Joe, I always recommend a step zero. Step zero is you call your recruiter. Last time got you the job where you are. Right? And you update your resume. And you also go to the kitchen and get a glass of water. Look, look, most of us have been this for 10, 20 years, right? And we see what happens. Um, reality is, today, a cyber attack, it can be as bad as a cyber cancer. You can't. Predict, none of us can predict how you're going to get sick tomorrow. Of course, all of us also believe that you're going to get sick in a life. You need a doctor at some point. So became can today. became can one of life's certainties. Life mm-hmm. is a breach. That's the ecosystem you live in. You like it or don't like it, cyber warfare applies to you, like everyone. If mm-hmm. you, Joe, and Mike don't have a $500 in the income, we're happy to send you a check. But if you do Great news for you. You are a target. If you look at the three, three common targets are nation state, cyber extortion, and business email compromise. Uh-huh. Applies today to everyone. So where do you really start? I mean, you really truly have to start with understanding why am I a target?
1: Yep. Understanding about what what your risks are, what you know, what what is your exposure, um, what's the value that you have. Um, I think it really, I always you know say to organizations, you know, sometimes look at yourself from the the mindset of a hacker, um, and really kind of look at it from the outside in, because that will really identify the risks and exposures that you might have. Um, so it's really kind of critical to make sure that you understand about. You know, that yes, absolutely, everyone is a target. Everyone can be a victim. In most cases, we always have to assume that we're already breached. And it's really important to be looking for it. Um, this is really critical to make sure that you're always looking. You're always, you know, um, it always reminds me, I remember, I quite, it was quite a few years ago. Um, it was one thing that always reminded me, and it's one thing you just mentioned about being unpredictable. I remember I was in the middle of doing, we were doing a major uh, OS upgrade you know, thousands of operating systems are going to be, I think it was XP to maybe Windows 8 to Windows 10. It's a major upgrade. And ultimately what happened was that we planned everything, we prepared all of the images, all the tasks, deployment, the systems are all ready. And then all of a sudden, you know, we'd done the testing, we have done the preparation, and we are now about to deploy the updates. And all of a sudden, kind of, we're thinking about, oh, let's, let's just Go and take a look. Let's, let's, you know, we're about to hit the, the go deploy button. And we said, let's take a step back. Let's do something. Let's go and double check everything. We just didn't, we, something in our gut said, don't hit the button yet. And we went and we checked. And what actually happened was it was actually already compromised. An attacker gained access. And we were actually about to deploy a basically piece of malicious software through our update. And ultimately, they've been watching, they've been understanding about what our projects were, what the plans were, and they've been hiding themselves. And it was basically our unpredictable moment where they didn't realize that we were going to go and do that final check, which wasn't in the schedule. It wasn't planned. And it was really, for me, it was like that being unpredictable sometimes is one of your best capabilities is that it always, if you can catch attackers by surprise, then it's the best way at some point at times to to detect them to find them on the networks. So unpredictable for me is definitely one of the things that all you know organizations should put into practice. It should be something that we should do is be unpredictable because it makes it harder for the attackers to stay hidden. Um, it will force them sometimes to make mistakes and be uncovered. Um, so, can, Andre, what what would you, you know? How would you recommend organizations um, to go and how you know what should they be looking for in the networks? to try and find or to be unpredictable or to find attackers lurking in the networks? What indicators or what things should we be trying to to check for?
2: Joe, I really like how you put the unpredictable into some systematic approach because looking back to my life, I was just uh, unpredictable. I played a lot of chaos compared to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sometimes.
2: <laughs> but truly, doing something outside of a norm and outside of normal implementation, I, I had a very similar scenario where a company deployed very expensive, uh, seven digits, uh, air gap solution from a mm-hmm. provider. And I'm not going to name the provider because it's not important. And that solution was breached. The main reason why it was breached is because they put predictable implementation in the solution. And I mm-hmm. tried after literally just followed the manual, how the air gap is going to get connected and disconnected and what they need to do. And they asked us, so what would make a difference? And we said exactly if you've done something outside of the box, yeah. a third thing in it, the thread active not could not read from a manual, could not find in your documentation, could not do, could not deal with, and only you know of, and it's basically let's say a third-party system that you integrate to API. It's documented, let's say, on the identity management side, but not in a backup solution. It's only reference. And the identity group actually holds all the documentation. It's mm-hmm. a separate group at your large organization. The threat after would have a significant challenge to do that. So Absolutely. I would say the same page, we have to have a corporate visibility. You have to create a corporate invisibility. Mm-hmm. Like almost you can appear at any point, and every, every point of time. And yes, we call it thread hunting. We call whatever, like right, a mobile audit. Um, but create those snapshots. If you look at the plane industry, plane industry, like airline industry, create a really mm-hmm. good safety check for planes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they do a lot at hoc, exactly what you said. And we just don't do that in the of security. We don't probe, we don't question. Uh, everyone is busy. Uh, whenever we come to an organization, they ask them, what do you do on a daily basis? I said, you don't understand. I have foreign products and I became IT help desk, IT information security help desk for these products. Because mm-hmm. all what my executive management is doing is convincing me that all these tools are going to save me. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, you know, in a specialized unit in the military, we don't believe the gun's going to save you. We believe that using that gun, being the ability to use a sniper gun, mm-hmm. is the talent. Because everyone can buy the sniper gun, but not everyone can shoot two miles and kill the target. It's a skill set. I mean, mm-hmm. not saying it's a dead extreme, but also don't be naive that
3: having the gun makes you a sniper. No, it doesn't. Right? And
1: Absolutely,
3: we see this almost like a ninja warrior approach. That when we walk into an organization, that you don't understand. We've got everything on the planet. Look at my budget. Two years later, uh, we've got some small problem here. We got a little bit of help. What happened? Right. So dealing with something that you can't expect, and yes, the. Hacking has maybe low probability, 4 mm-hmm. state, to 6%. Yeah. Very low, sure, but it's deadly. When it happens, right? you're either going to be digitally naked with all executives on, on all around the internet, or you're going to be digitally dead. And mm-hmm. as one of the uh, generals, Korobko, from the Russian GRE unit, which is cyber intelligence unit that exposed the most of your secret, says, look... Our number goal is make look American stupid and digitally mm-hmm. die. And you know what's the beauty? When you kill a person by a bullet, they are in a graveyard. Digitally, I can make you die four times a year. It's gonna be very painful, and I can it's repeat that really every painful. year. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, and that's and that's what's happening. It's it's literally is that basically with the different cyber attacks, you know, with, you know, and it's been going on for a long time. It's you know, it's it's becoming. I guess the media is picking it up more. You're getting more visibility into it. They're becoming more catastrophic, more impactful. So, you know, it's, it's clear that you're absolutely right, is that, um, you know, basically those attacks, it's, it's exposing multiple times. It's repeating and repeating. I've seen companies, you know, that not just become the victim of a ransomware one time, but multiple times. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's continuous. And if they don't learn from, you know, the lessons and the mistakes and, you know, what's been done in the past um, and they don't make fundamental changes, they're not going to stop it in the future. Um, so I think, you know, this is something that we have to really address and, you know, really gets into, you know, really around one is the resiliency side of things, uh, how to become more resilient. So, um, you know, what, what's from my, your perspective into what, you know, what can we do to deter What's the deterrent uh, for those types of scenarios? What would be the resiliency? What would you recommend?
2: Uh, I, I would say it's a very systematic approach inside the security that you need to take. Right? It's not like one thing's going to save you. Um, like when you look at, for example, a ransomware attack, isolation is a key. Don't allow lateral movement. Right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because look at my computer here. Right? I'm connected where I am. My computer is compromised. You have to assume at some point someone's going to happen with the computer. Yep. It's just the reality like that virus that you're going to get. So it's a cold or cancer, or whatever pandemic you're going to get. We all going to be exposed to it. Are these tools on my computer too ready to deal with it? Maybe they are. Maybe they's going to fail. Maybe they're partially going to detect maybe some visibility. So some visibility is in here, right? Because you don't feel well, right? So mm-hmm. you do have some visibility. You, you might just not understand what that is. So you do have to question that. So very important in a cyber resilience is that how much truly you can create a systematic approach that Isolate, create this zero trust, uh, does some type of monitoring, does give you some, visibility, does give you these warnings, these oracles, right? now uh, um, it's Cassandra's around mm-hmm. the road. And they might not have all the answers, but they have my the schools, right? You might get into schools, but you have to figure out if the point where you start, you start believing that, um, the artificial intelligence and robots and machine learning is going to solve everything <laughs> for us, what you see actually is happening is the trade after what good the nation state, they're actually now starting in a minor framework, isolating the executions. Mm-hmm. Every time they do, it's just like only one thing they execute. One thing they execute. Okay, I'm executing this, then shell. then VB, then I'm gonna inject, then I'm going to library, then library downloads, right? And it's like a, 10 things that do happen now in a kill chain. Mm-hmm. And now you have an EBR product. Oh, this thing, 40%. Oh, this thing's 40%. This 40%. But if you put them as a chain together, as a kill chain, you just got killed. Yeah. So there's no product right now that's going to do this for you, right? So let's get also not be foolish that Tradactor also don't understand that they isolate every, you know, like almost like every infection on the chain for you too. Mm-hmm. And they schedule this in a way that your EDR solution or whatever you have on the network, but you still have the 40%. And if someone looking at this dashboard and sees those 40% and at the end, this is, he seems to guys, this is nation state.
3: Right yeah. You still need that
2: human talent
3: to actually uh, pull that pull that for you that cyber resiliency approach. So uh, having almost verticals at every like a building like a building security, and I think mm-hmm. we' done very well, uh, building security same approach in the cyber where don't put a lot of money in one basket, but you have to diversify and you you always have to assume that, look Joe, I, I like you, you're a really trustworthy guy, but you have no access nowhere at a company. OK, yep. and you're going to be requesting access tomorrow. I, I don't really know what, work like that. I mean, Andre, like this is like a punishment to me. So no, because yeah. if someone hacks your computer, and we have to assume someone's going to hack your computer, right? you have to ask for access. And you know what? You have to take that phone, and you have to get authentication token to the data repository. It's not going to be mapped to your computer anymore, because when you get ransomware, Right? It's gonna encrypt. what? you don't understand. i like, you don't have a good cyber hygiene, I wash my cyber hands three times a day. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. None of these excuses do matter because we go outside and we still get cold. We go outside and we still get sick. Right? Mm-hmm. So being cyber sick should not be way of us defending ourselves or take it personal. You know what? It was 10 years ago, if you tell me, Andre you got hacked, I would take it personal. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with my own issues, not to take personally, that I'd done everything I could, yep. and i get hacked. Uh, I wake uh, up every uh, day in the morning, and I'm thinking, is Joe and Mike in my computer? <laughs> oh, no, no not too. <laughs> <Right? laughs> Who is in my computer? And that's mm-hmm. my first 10, 15 minutes. Almost like you wake up in the morning, and you're asking yourself, am I going to die today? Or what would that be mm-hmm. that I die today? My meditation moment when I go and run, run in a park. And I think good learning lesson here is what happened in cyber extortion and ransomware. Around 10 years ago, the few groups declare that they're going to go after the cyber insurance broker's data. Mm -hmm. And no one kind of really believed this. People say, oh, this is nonsense. Why does it make sense? And now, look, if there is someone who's a cyber criminal, you think they're really that stupid? They do all that cyber crime. They don't get arrested. They're that silly. It makes perfect sense. Why don't you get a list from a competitive broker who is creating competitive analysis, the accounts he wants to get from another broker with the cyber insurance limits and also premiums. Imagine that list, having a hint that this broker, your competitor has, the accounts you want to go after. Come on. Everyone in technology business is done it when you work for tech company, looking at the competitors, to try to get a competitor list, okay? It's the game we played for years. And now we have a group who so openly admit it. We don't even hack companies who have no insurance. Why? Because why would, I, why would they be hacking someone who can't pay? Yeah. How silly that would be, right? So I think what we learn also in a cyber resilience is, try to limit footprint of sharing what your enterprise risk strategies actually are. And if mm-hmm. the enterprise risk strategy for some companies is only buy cyber insurance, you're really done. It. Your game is over.
1: Yeah, because you're putting your value so the there. First record that's going to be
3: disclosed to trade actors who are, by the way, quite sophisticated. And if you look also at the recent momentum, a few of them posted that Elon Musk, thank you for our, you know, bumping our earnings five times. We are in a hiring mode. Do you want to join us? They should ask okay. Elon Musk to join the criminal mm-hmm. ransomware rings. Because from 10 million out have 50, imagine uh, 40 million to hire people now to ransom, right? That's a pretty good mm-hmm. chunk of money, of revenue, right? That's a lot of higher power right now yep. in the ransom market. So how do you deal with that momentum? And the answer is truly systematic approach, zero trust, look at all the components that you have, mm-hmm. try to figure out how you're gonna gain the visibility on the endpoint, on the network, on your perimeter. If your perimeter is dead, put things in a cloud, like, for example, one of our strategies is to work heavily in the Microsoft Cloud
1: mm-hmm.
3: because they do much better security as this a small company can do. Uh, and then lock everything, right? Meaning that I'm here on my network, I connect my computer, I only have access to the Microsoft Cloud and no one else's computer and maybe a few printers. Yep. Okay. I'm isolated. I'm, my computer is lonely in the office, it doesn't talk to anyone, <laughs> can do <anilateral laughs> movement, can't do any lateral movement, can't go to Microsoft Cloud. And if you go to Microsoft Cloud and someone encrypts the data, right? We just revert it. If you take the data out of cloud, you have to compromise my account because most of the data has IRM, like digital right management, like a music. Right? Yes. Like you take the, Someone takes the file, it's gone, right? So sure, they can take a snapshot while they're on a computer or, you know, they can mm-hmm. create a screenshots and take some data, probably grab my email because you know some the stuff. But reality is that um, it, these layers are very important.
1: Yeah, it makes it more difficult. It, it, it forces the attackers to take more risks. That's ultimately what we're trying to achieve, is make them take more risks so they create more noise and become more visible. And I absolutely agree. I mean, for me, uh, one of the kind of clear messages that I find is important is the principle of least privilege. It, it's so fundamental is that you should, ha- you should start with zero and you have to build up basically your verification, your trust, your access. And it should be basically only for the things that you need at that moment in time it should be time-based. And I love that what you're mentioning is that, you know, you try to keep your connections as much as limited as possible. So even for myself, um, when I go to, to, you know, anywhere in public, I basically seldom, if even anytime, connect to public Wi-Fi. It's always either through my own VPN uh, connection, my mobile hotspot. I limit all the connectivity that I do. Um, I even get into the point where um, systematically have put into my disk rotation. I take uh, backups of the disks, so I've got online backup, and then at some point in time, usually in a month or every three months, I rotate the disks. That disk goes into basically an archive and won't come out until I ever need it. So fundamentally, I've always got a point in time where I can go back to. I've always got data. So for for me, I think you know what I try to do is I look at yes, at some point in time, I might become a victim of ransomware. It's fundamentally possible, but I want to do everything I possibly can to limit the ability that they have. To encrypt all the data because not all my drives are connected concurrently connected all the time, and also that if they ever do encrypt the data, that I've got a disk I can just pull out of the store, plug it back in, and be up and running, and not have to become, you know, thinking even about paying it, which I I, I would definitely never pay it. And I'm seeing people, you know, I, I get calls all the time. You know, uh, Andre, you're probably the same as you. You hear from victims quite regularly, and I basically, you know, uh, was talking to a person just a few weeks ago who became the victim of ransomware and had lost 30 years of their digital life, 30 years. And the attack basically, you know, gained access. And it was the week before uh, enabled remote at desktop and his his, 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 machine one week before, and only took a week for them to gain access to his uh, desktop. And then also his uh, NAS device and all his data encrypted gone of over 30 years. And you sit and look at that and you're and they're thinking about paying. They start considering about you know, well, it's my life. It's you know, it's all the kids and families and history pictures. Um, so you know, what you end up you're doing is that you know, we have to we have to educate and we have to make sure that those types of actions don't happen. And I've seen businesses as well, not just you know individuals that happening to. I've seen businesses lose a year of data. Um, where ultimately they've lost one year of value because, uh, fortunately enough, uh, when they did a migration, that migration forced the backup. And the backup was from an older version of uh, software, which had the data. Uh, but they lost the, the, basically, the cumulative data for an entire year of their business. And of course, then they had to go, you know, they spent probably a, a month or so going through the paper and then having, you know, they had paper receipts and paper documentation, paper notes that they had to go and recreate that again. Um, so, you know, the victims out there are real. I, I don't know what type, you know, Andre, what type of victims that you see, you know, are you seeing. Um, organizations um, regularly, you know, becoming victims, whether it being nation-state type of attacks, um, or whether it being business email compromise or somebody's, you know, transferred money, and hopefully, you know, the the bank can stop it, um, you know, depending on what type of transaction it is, um, and also ransomware victims. For me, the, those seem to be the most common areas. You sometimes get the data theft, or the competitive one that you mentioned. Uh, which types of, what what instances do you see the most often, and which ones are the most impactful?
2: Yeah, so we kind of play the role, I would say, this mid-sized market vertical of a company mm-hmm. between like maybe 100 million to 20 billion in revenue. But I we have a good relationship with the Mandians, with Spielberg, and some of the yeah. big shops. They see definitely like a lot of the nations. They see some, maybe not at the same level mm-hmm. as uh, as they see. But in mid-sized business, I'd I say we have a really healthy chunk in our emergency sector. Right. emergency room. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they Yes, some of them are more targeted. Let's say healthcare is more targeted because of yeah. in the US, Medicaid data can be abused for ordering pills through mm-hmm. various automated systems. Yeah. So medical records are a really good way to go. By the way, I don't get any of those pills. You know, all time. I, 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 but look, look, if someone is really on narcotics and wants to get like a really good approved FDA mm-hmm. narcotics, right, instead of sweet. Uh, whatever drugs, I mean, this is the way to go. I mean, you've got MDF proof stuff that really puts you high in the space, right? Right, right, mm-hmm. right into the cloud, real cloud, uh, <laughs> with these people. So I can see how that is, has a huge value and Medicaid in New York is like a four billion dollar for a year. Mm-hmm. That's like a four billion. That's a lot of pills, right? It, it, that is in, a lot in a state of like New York. So that's, um, uh, that's, I would say that's probably what we have maybe close to. Thirty percent, forty percent, literally healthcare, mm-hmm. and going after health data. Try to monetize the data. Try to monetize it into it. financial. Uh, yes, primarily. I don't think the last two years we had maybe two, three companies we did not have a cyber insurance, and I think it was just honestly an honest mm-hmm. bit of error on a trade actors to you know they hire interns too, and those interns do mess up from time to time, right? So they misplace the company. The company called XYZ, and there is also XYZ Incorporated. So XYZ is mm-hmm. small, but XYZ Incorporated is a real target. Right? I go sometimes to <laughs> research the stock and, and, and end up being the wrong stock. Right? So it's, it happens to all of us. <laughs> sometimes these trade actors end up having the wrong companies instead of the company they really wanted to have. <laughs> um, so we, we've seen some of those instances, too. Um, but primarily, it's really at that point, it's not a, a vertical. It's not who they are. It's a mid-sized business. They think they can get in through the web vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Some spare phishing. But lately we've seen the spare phishing being more of a decoy for forensic companies, meaning that they come through, let's say, bad vulnerability, oh, okay. but they still drop you spare phishing campaigns that people click on and they put company in the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. It was a r- large data center that had been hanging December. There's a very famous forensic firm out of the Chicago that worked on it. They put them in the rabbit hole in mm-hmm. the wrong direction for almost a month, but they realized the problem was somewhere else. So even threat actors, be careful. They, they yeah. know how to play the tricks right now. And the more sophisticated adapter, create this rabbit or for forensic thumbs and uh, let's say you have a domain controller right now, and they touch the domain controller for four or five different ways. with different uh, compromised mm-hmm. admin, corporate admin credentials, the same way. And now, instead of, it used to be one system that made a lot of movement, now they have a six system that made a lot of movement. Of course they didn't. Mm-hmm. There's probably two or three of them that are more relevant than the other, but now they have to analyze four or six. Right? So actually... It slowly them down mm-hmm. on, um, on that forensic investigation uh, with, with those victims. Mid-size is a really the target for trade actors because the insurance premiums are healthy. We had highest mm-hmm. ransom last year, I think 35 or 45 million dollars in that vertical. So it's pretty good when insurance pays 35 million for you. Um, and I would say it's all goes to seven figures very quickly. And that's what you saw. The escalation to seven figures really happened because the money is there to pay. Yeah. Um, OFAC right now can be a problem, right? The OFAC licensing in the U.S. and paying the ransom rings, mm-hmm. uh, can uh, yeah. be an issue. But, uh, I, I would think, sure,
3: if you look at the large firms, nation states are going to continue to be an issue, right? So, sure, that, that's, that's fair. But the mid-size is going to get slaughtered more and more just because there's not enough cooperations, international cooperation, federal law enforcement is hard to do internationally. Uh, and that mid yeah. vertical has a really healthy data right now and a really healthy money
1: to pay. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know that you know I've seen a lot from Europol doing a lot of work in takedowns of the botnets and, and um a lot of you know the some of the the uh, uh, ransomware going so there's a lot of work going on continuously but it gets into the the main focus is that some of the bigger larger multinational kind of um you know let's say criminal organizations. So, and very rarely, it's it's not consistent. There's so many gangs out there. Um, that's probably one in, you know, 500 that you ever get seen taken down. It's, it's, it's a really kind of, you know, small number compared to what's happening. Um, one of the questions I've got for you, Andre, as well, is that when you get into from, you know, I've seen some challenges into when it gets into digital, you know, evidence gathering. So it, it, for me, it's always that kind of, you know, challenging area and I've seen cases well I remember it goes back to, to quite a few years ago now, and it was that when we got a warrant in order to you know go and collect uh, computer systems from an internet cafe, right? So there's a warrant went out, and the problem is, is that from basically when you send that warrant, it's local um, law enforcement goes in and, and basically uh, does the warrant, collects the computer equipment. however, they basically collected just computers. And it was a misunderstanding that it should have also included, you know, network devices and uh, switches and anything else. And and it was an internet cafe, so they also had games consoles like Playstations and stuff. And they only went in and collected basically just computers uh, because it was a misunderstanding of what was technical equipment. Um, you know, do you find, you know, I, I don't know, Ken, of this was uh, in, in a specific country where the legal and warrants had not been modernized yet. Um, is that improving? Um, are you seeing collaboration between, let's say, digital forensics and local law enforcement being able to collect evidence and gathering it without contaminating it? Um, how improved is that uh, today?
2: I think that, and look, I don't want to say I'm a radical here, but I feel <laughs> the way I see it. Um, we're coming with these regulations like GDPR, CCPA, mm-hmm. and sanctions, right, for companies, mm-hmm. but we are not coming with improvement to help data collections and cybercrime to start in the first like higher penalties, easier process, easier process to subpoena. The other thing the completely opposite. Like, look, I, I also have Apple devices, but look what's really happening. The technology
3: vendors decide if you can decrypt the device or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, there is an article right now that NYPD has a three rooms of Apple iPhones and Apple equipment from child pedophile cases. What that tells you, mm-hmm. right? If you're a child pedophile, use the devices that no one can get even into it. So, it's it's not even like how do you collect from something that you don't have access anymore. And the person, even if you put the gun to his head, says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? And he doesn't have a fingerprint, he has a pin or something else, and he's not gonna cooperate. Period. I mean, he knows that no. unless you find some other evidence, you're not gonna get it. And you're not gonna mm-hmm. get it from uh, uh, from the Apple, you're not gonna get it from mm-hmm. uh, any any other from any other way, right? You're not gonna get into his account and you pretty much done, right? So you're you pretty much done, he's not backing up in the cloud. So Apple serving uh, subpoena to Apple's not gonna work. Uh, mm-hmm. He has everything on his device that's secure. And, and uh, unless you buy this exploit for $1 million for every iPhone you have in the stack at the mm-hmm. police station, you you pretty much cooked at that at that point of the time. Uh, and that's what I see. I see that criminals heavy rely on that number one, there are only few governments who are aggressive in prosecution. Mm-hmm. Look at the APT-10, respectfully. Yeah. Only United States serves a pena. Most of the European countries, Asian countries have been slaughtered by APT-10. It was first really eye-opener in a supply chain type of attack, but MSP providers 11 years ago got all hacked across the room, mm-hmm. okay? 3,000 warriors, whatever, worked on this mission. That was much bigger than false solar rates. How many countries really wanted to serve subpoena to other nations, to these one big nations in in, in Asia? Mm -hmm. Right? No, it's like you only like these forces where you had the powers after the World War II and they said, we're gonna do the right thing. Those Mm -hmm. powers are gone. You you might have one evil country who's serving Department of Justice subpoenas. Even other countries in other civilized Western world will not contribute. Mm Because they don't want to create any enemies. There's some trade issues, right? Like, first, let's be honest to all each other and says, okay, I'm a small country, but I'm going to serve subpoena too.
1: Yeah this is not I, right I agree the The only way forward what i was I was really happy at uh, the recent um, uh, White House statement uh, regarding the funding, the new cyber funding that they came out with. I was really happy because it was, for me, there was actually some, uh, the language in there about basically the funding was that the need for cooperation and transparency and collaboration. And that for me was actually positive because what I find is that in in this environment, we're always dealing cybercrime. I don't know how much you're finding cybercrime being cross-border. I find it, you know, a lot of it, it's most, basically probably 90% plus is cross-border, meaning that you're not having to deal with international legal, you know, uh, frameworks. Um, and then you get into jurisdictions and legal and difference and, and so forth. And I find that the only way we can really treat this as, a, as, a, as a, basically a collaborative, as working together, multiple countries working to make sure that there's fewer places to provide safe havens for cyber criminals. The more we work together, the more we collaborate, the more we are transparent, the more we hold certain countries accountable for providing safe havens for criminals. Then that's the only way we can actually make some movement forward. Because if we're working individually as as single countries trying to deal with it as a single Ah. country, it's not going to be possible. It's it's a fundamentally it's it's a no go direction. Um, No single country today can win a cyber war, and it means that we must act as a collaborative as a collection. Um, So I was really happy at the statements, the the reinforcement that that the US now will work as a, a collective, as, as together, cooperation. I think that's a key message. Uh, so I agree to your point, is that um, that absolutely, we have to start holding accountables accountable, the countries accountable for the crimes that they do, or the crimes that their citizens are conducting f- from within their borders. There has to be some element, the ability to, to do action, whether it being sanctions, which has been the, the most common method. But I think we must go further. I think it must kind of really get into stepping up and really doing something more actionable um, to really because otherwise we're we're going to continue seeing ransomware. We're going to see it increase. We're going to see more companies become victims. We're going to see more supply chain attacks. We're going to be seeing more nation states starting to, you know, let's say, you know, shame or embarrass countries from doing cyber attacks. I think that's going to continue unless there's some type of global cooperation working together uh, moving forward.
2: Well, the legal framework has to be Joe fully supported. Like pretty much everyone has to get on board. That yes, I'm going to prosecute this. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to make look. I came from Czechoslovakia. We don't even have our court does not accept electronic
3: evidence. ESI, electronic information, is the primary evidence. Okay, <laughs> so how, how do you deal with the, the countries? Where I came from? That that you know it's like there's a joke. The guy goes to um, Bronze zoo mm-hmm. from former Czechoslovakia. And watching giraffe all day giraffe right and get a beer and vodka then gets watching giraffe goes for beer and vodka completely drunk at the end of the day mm-hmm. completely drunk two security guards are throwing the guy out of the bronze zoo he turns to them and says and you know what guys that giraffe doesn't exist <laughs> right? that's a mindset you're dealing with <laughs> you're watching all day long you are getting into an euphoria but at the end of the day it doesn't exist, okay? So how do you convince these countries and nations that yeah, it does exist? It's real. If you mm-hmm. reinforce legal framework, like what do you mean? Like you can't prosecute people stealing intellectual property? That's a minor offense in your country, really? Like people really taking a code? Like in the mm-hmm. U.S., you get fifteen years. And what you're telling me in your country gets a penalty of five thousand euro? And tells, can you please not do that again? It's kind of not nice.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a warning. It's a slap in the wrist. I mean, here in Estonia, that was one of the... When I came to Estonia in 2002, almost, which is a long time ago, that ultimately, it was a realization for me. Estonia realized, actually, back in 2000, when Estonia set out its goal to become a digital society, digital nation, was that paper uh, had to be equal to digital. And so your digital signature, everything you've in a digital world is actually accountable. It, it's actually, you know, it's, it can be you know uh, classified equal to that on paper. I think the only thing you can't do online here in Estonia is get married or divorced. The only two things you can't do. Everything else you can do digitally. Oh, the market doesn't accept
2: digital signatures,
1: Which is, is, is fundamental.
2: Doesn't exist.
1: It's it's a way that we have to do, you know, that's that's the you know the future. So countries that want to let's say, you know, innovate and, and, and become much more of a digital nation, that's the only way forward.
3: And I have it been yeah. better for you.
2: If you're prime minister and you sign a contract and it has your signature,
1: now it's classified because your, your signature is classified. <laughs> How many millions, joke did you say you needed? Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so, it's re- I mean, Andre, it's fantastic having you on, and it's really, I mean, intriguing conversation. We're always, I really always enjoy listening to you talk and some of your insights. You have a huge amount of experience. Um it's fantastic, Mike. Any 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 thoughts or anything that you would like to to share with the audience or what what you've been taking away from the conversation? Yeah, no. I mean,
0: yeah. For those that don't remember, I am actually here. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's been fascinating to listen to. I think we covered a lot of topics. I think you know uh, a lot of times we sort of get sucked into the very pessimistic negative side of things. Um, this episode no mm-hmm. no exclusion to that. And I think you know there's the what you know what we can do in terms of the international framework. We've talked about that that in the past, but I yeah. think trying to maybe and a little bit more on some of the positive side of like what individuals should be doing or could be doing what mm-hmm. small businesses could be doing because I think one of the reasons you know as we were talking about um like why is why are, uh the sort of mid-sized market why is that so lucrative for cyber criminals it's because probably mm-hmm. my guess is that you have the high insurance premiums and you have there's all the money there but not the investment in the on the cyber security side of things and so it's they're the ratio of money to be made versus the ease of the target is much higher than if if you start going after uh, more, um, you know, what would be a higher value target probably also has much more sophisticated systems and therefore it's harder and and maybe not worth the effort and you have to be nation state. So thinking about that mid-market and small market and and individuals, like what what would you say are, are good things that we should be doing on a regular basis to sort of help protect us so we can sort of maybe end a little bit on a more positive note than the nihilistic, <laughs> we're all screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So to what help us is the hybrid model, I think stop believe that you are your own cyber mechanic, you're your own cyber therapist, you're <laughs> your own cyber doctor. Because ultimately in IT people believe that we can do any of it. If you go to, for example, a hospital. None of us wants to do open-heart surgery. None of us wants to do open-brain mm-hmm. surgery. And we realize that these people at the hospitals being trained to do that. But let's try to the denial. I think what really helped us as a company and also mid market is create a hybrid ecosystem, meaning that we do have a partners. Like, for like example, my partner is Microsoft Wow, Why? Because, yes, I believe the Microsoft can get the, the trade after this is the threat after. Coming into the tech name much better than I do. If I create the same infrastructure in my premise here,
3: I can't guard it the same way they can. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying the fraction for that money, but that hybrid model right now, that I don't hosting that internally, and I don't, I don't have active directory at all on-premise. Nothing, doesn't exist, mm-hmm. okay? No active directory on-premise. Maybe some companies can operate, they have to do the hybrid more, right? So do the hybrid, try to separate the domains, what you have in the cloud, what you have, what you have here. But truly, I would say, uh, don't try to do it on your own, right? Do not. You're not fixing car on your own. Don't think the cyber is something you're going to fix. Find a hybrid ecosystem and take, like you said, you have a limited budget. Take the budget and say, okay, if I buy this from this partner and I paid that much money, what kind of security I'm going to get versus I'm going to build everything internally, how much is it going to cost me? What am I really saving and what is my risk? Okay, so the saving is 20%, but if I'm going to get hacked, oh, I'm done. Yep. Okay, so maybe the 20% of a saving is not worth it to go here to a cloud provider or to go someone who knows what he's doing. And I see dramatic shift on MSSP side. Mm-hmm. The companies that used to completely try to manage the SOC internally now have, yes, hybrid SOC. What it means, they augment their SOC with the outside providers. Meaning that they, so we, we have our own SOC team, so we actually use our mm-hmm. own SOC team. But if we didn't have it for the clients, we would have to probably do the same. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Because it's a different view. It's almost like you're giving a different opinion from someone. And it's not that expensive anymore to actually do that to get that different opinion. Um, and then also find someone like a Joe, right? Like a someone who used to be a cyber professional, now is a cyber therapist, <laughs> right? And... And, and sign up for a the therapy session that's expensive. I'm sure they're more expensive than cyber <laughs> professional consultations. Maybe like a double because you know, now you need a therapy versus a cyber professional consultation. But sign up for the session twice a year and go and ask them, listen, I've got this network. Uh, do you think I'm healthy? I'm cyber healthy. What else would you do? I mean, you've seen it all. You've seen being compromised. You're expert on identity management. You're expert on a provisioning uh, expert in less privilege, like how the people are really gaining the access. What's happening in your vertical? Mm-hmm. Like how is that really working? You know, you said the access, for me, access, well, that's an important, right? Isolation, that's an important mm-hmm. component of that. Then you talk to someone in a network forensic, when you talk to someone, right, You the same way you seek specialists, let's say four or five specialists in a year, find those individuals. It's not, trust me, it's not that expensive, that hour and a half, two hours is more of your time. Mm-hmm. And the way it should be really ran we have a few companies where the board actually does it. The board calls for the CISO to have a specialist to talk to them about the issues. And then yeah. they say this is a quarter when we solving uh, network visibility, we signing the identity and access management, and we want to have a legal and compliance presentation. These three mm-hmm. areas. And you guys are going to bring three experts to look on what, what you're doing and don't take it personal. Right again, it goes back to that personal moment. I'm holding this. Don't ask me questions. All right. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm I know what I'm head. doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Why someone has to come in and almost like an audit me and ask me questions. Yeah. No. No. It's like, let's be real, right? Like, everyone has a different level of experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Bring them in and be open. You have to be open. Like, the same way many of us move out in a career because they're open to critique. Mm-hmm. Right? And I always mm-hmm. liked the people who actually were not laughing. He said, Andre, you're great. I said, you really suck, man. But this
1: really, this is not good. And I need the honesty. Yeah, you want the honesty. You want the basically, you know, the direct, honest feedback. And that's one. That's one thing that's great about Estonia. Everyone is very direct and honest. They, they will tell you what is on their mind. Um, and I think it's really important. I think that's where definitely leaders, leaders surround themselves with people who actually uh, critique and provide continuous feedback. Uh, people who they will learn from. They want to make sure that they're continually learning. So Andre, absolutely, I mean, I completely agree as um, the hybrid approach, I love it. I think because one of the one of the things for me is that most organizations cannot hire the experts and specialists in all of those areas. There's impossible to maintain resources for every one of those areas, whether it being instant response, malware, reverse engineering to attribution, to recovery, to you know. Um, to SOC analysts, to you know, looking at log correlations, to doing identity attacks, you will not be able to find, you won't be able to find one person that does all of it, and it'll be difficult to find individuals to maintain all of that. Well, so the absolutely. other problem
0: is, like, again, like, if you're trying to, let's say you were trying to hire all those mm-hmm. people, it's not a full-time job for all of Correct. them all of the time at your company. It gets back to, like, it's the same, you know, as a soft, my background in software engineering. Like, we've built so much on top of other things. It's What's us core to our business. Let's make that in-house and then look to leverage whatever SaaS or third parties or contractors or whatever for all of these other things. And, and it gets into, we have this great ecosystem and cybersecurity is um, a really cooperative space. Um, I love it, right? Everybody wants to help everybody. We, are, we recognize that by working together, we're better together. And so I think there's all that opportunity and, yeah, encourage people to reach out, get the right yeah. um, professionals, ask for help. Ask for help <laughs> because that's you, you can't do it all internally. You can't do it yourself. Yeah. Ask for
3: if, help. if you look at the military, right, and you look at the uh, countries who are good at this, right, so you have local police station. Like let's say here in New York. We have NYPD. So that's a big privilege because that's not a classical police. There's a helicopter, boats. So, I don't know, submarine, whatever they have, right? So it's like really big budget, right? But they have de- they're dealing with a different type of criminals. But you go to outside, to westchester country, you have a normal police department. They have normal guns. they you know. They sure they have some automatic rifles in the closet. Uh, but then you have federal enforcement. You have a state enforcement, right, ran by the DA offices. And you have the FBI, you have a Secret Service. You have a federal mandate over the state, right? You move one more level up. On, on, on top of that, you also have the U.S. Marshal Office. Right? So we have multiple layers here of this structure. Then you have the offensive forces and military. And even in the military, you go through right, the various ranks. You have a Marines, you have Air Force, you have a Naval Development Unit, development groups, and then you get the specialized forces. Now, if someone at that local station thinking that he's a special forces, he's making a big mistake.
1: Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. I love and I don't think <laughs> they do,
3: by the way. Right. But in technology, that's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. You have a local cyber cop who thinks it's a special operations cyber cop, okay? And he thinks he covers all of those. And The answer is no, you don't. Right. Because if you've never been a sugar cookie, you actually have to drop in the ocean and, and uh, go in the sand and then stay like that for a day and be truly in a misery. Right? You actually never experience what that being swapped in at a cyber actually means. So the hybrid model, even when you see how the Uh, specialized units who deal with, I would say, quite complex human and war conflict type of issues, and also society issues, right, from law enforcement to Mm -hmm. the offensive missions and how they structure, don't think that you can create all of that at your company. And it's not something you should do. Why do you think Manchester County doesn't have a sniper
1: they don't, because they don't need to. It's not something that happens so well, often. Was, that,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, but I grew up they, not far from Westchester. I don't know if they have <laughs> snipers, but <laughs> so. But I think I, absolutely, I love that analogy. I think it's really important. That's why you know all organizations focus on your business. And for the things that's not your core business, get help, get partners, get experts, get people, um, and and relationships with. Other, you know, organizations that can help you fill those roles and needs. Um, do not try to do it all yourself. And, and I love Andre that you know the, the the county sheriff thinking they're a specialist, and uh, it's something that I think that's where we really have to get the realization. I think we, all of us, you know, who who have been in that position, you know, that's how we how, you know we have to look for the experts to you know to 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 provide us that need and that resources. So. I love that area. So I think I mean, we're coming on the end. So I think it's fantastic, Andre, having you on the show. I think this has been really exciting and interesting. It's definitely going to be, for the audience, it's going to be something that they'll probably listen to multiple times. There's so much content value in here. Um, it's fantastic. Thank you very much for for being on. Mike, again, always is awesome having you uh, and the co-host. Um, so for the audience, you know, it's, it's a pleasure having Andre. If you're interested in learning more about digital forensics or instant response and um, Andre's experts or you need, uh, you know, a specialist to talk to, uh, definitely reach out to Andre. Uh, we'll make sure that Andre will get uh, your contacts um, available to the audience uh, where they need to and how they get in contact and and, and get more information from you. Uh, for the audience, it's a pleasure as always, you know, join us every two weeks for the 401 Access Tonight podcast. Stay safe, stay educated, keep learning, and, you know, we enjoy having you listen to the show. All the best and bye.
0: Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thykotic.com.